The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. We live in a fast-paced, hectic world where it is easy to feel overwhelmed, stressed, and out of control. How do you manage all the competing pressures without losing your sense of yourself? How do you stay focused enough to not only plot a path, but follow it? Welcome to Master Your Life, a show that offers inspiration, insight, and intelligence, as well as success stories for many walks of life that can show you how you can control your own destiny. Our knowledgeable and entertaining hosts and their guests give practical advice that you can use every day in the quest to master your life. Now, here are your hosts, Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin. Welcome to Master Your Life, the show of insight, intelligence, and inspiration where we ask you to consider every week, uh, how are you doing in your life? How is it? How are you right now? And how is it that you would love to be? I'm joined with my wonderful co-host, Dr. Howard Rankin. Howard, how has your week been? <laughs> it's 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 been good, Leah. Thank you very much. And uh, had an experience that's relevant for today's show. I I've been trying to eat very healthily, so I have my uh, steel oats in the morning with anything that ends in a berry thrown in. And uh, at lunch, I have some vegetables, and dinner, I have some stir fry and extra virgin olive oil, and maybe some salmon. Uh, and then I have a bowl of ice cream. <laughs> and as I was thinking about this, I thought, well, this is an interesting question. Are the, health, are the health disadvantages and advantages of different foods? What's the problem? If we eat a, quotation mark, bad diet, is that bad diet actually harming us? Or are we being harmed by the absence of good foods? Conversely, mm. if we eat good foods but have an occasional what have you, uh, is is that advantage of the health food mitigated? So, and, and in some ways, uh, maybe not the way I've said it, but I think that a lot of people wonder about that. Well, if I've, e- I've eaten pretty healthily, can I get a question mark? Can I get away with you know a bar of chocolate or what have you? So. Um, today's wonderful guest, there is no better person to try and unravel that mystery for us as far as we know it right now uh, than today's guest, uh, David Katz. David, thank you so much for being with us. We know you're busy and we always appreciate your time. Um, so what do you think about that question? Well, first of all, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me back. Uh, you know, it, it's a very good question, Howard, for a whole host of reasons. Uh, first of all, I'm going to sort of start with a, a bit of a joke. Uh, I put this in a couple of my books over the years. It, it's kind of a prototype patient, but it's also quite real, and I suspect people can relate to it. You know, think of a, a guy I'm seeing in my office, and, you know, we're, we're talking about lifestyle and, and health, and and he says something along the lines of, you know, well, well Doc, you know, I, okay, I hear you, but, I mean, it's okay if I have, say, pizza in moderation, right? And I say, oh, yeah, sure, Bill, that it's fine, that pizza in moderation, you know, just get, get the gist right. Well, well, okay, Doc, but, you know, it's okay if I have hot dogs in moderation, too. I say, well, okay, Bill, you know, I'm not a big fan of hot dogs, but, you know, okay, in moderation. And, and Doc... 
just a sec there. You know, it's okay if I have bacon and bologna and salami and french fries and donuts and et cetera and et cetera and et cetera in moderation, right? And I say, whoa, whoa, Bill, after you've had all of this junk in moderation, what else do you eat? And Bill says, hmm, I really can't think of anything. Well, you know, Houston, we have a problem, right? Yeah, so, yeah. you know, what, what we know, Howard, is that it, you know, it really is, the overall dietary pattern with which the, the health outcomes that matter most, health over a lifetime, longevity, track. Um, but without question, the dietary pattern is made up of foods. And, and I think people routinely tell themselves little white lies, as Bill was doing, about moderation. And so, you know, if you really eat well all the time, love ice cream, and, you know, you fit that into your diet as an indulgence and you get a lot of pleasure out of it, you know, first of all, I, I think you're getting a health benefit from the quality of your diet, and I think there is a health benefit in pleasure. And, and I think right. th the other thing we tend to forget yeah. is, in a sense, pleasure is what health is for in the first place. You know, health allows us to purchase more pleasure in our lives, so trading one off against the other doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, on the other hand, if the indulgences add up, to compromise the quality of your whole diet, then you may be paying for that pleasure with your health, and that's a bad trade-off as well. And and then you know the other question you ask, Howard, because you kind of you packed a lot in there. You know, is it what we eat or what we're not eating that matters most? And the, the simple fact about nutritional epidemiology that I think a lot of people, even researchers, overlook is you can't unbundle the two. You know, if you eat. 100% of the calories you eat, and you eat more of A, a higher percentage from A, inevitably there's a lower percentage from B. You know, it's like tossing mm -hmm. a pebble into a pond. So as much as we might try to study the effects of, say, just eating ice cream, I mean, the simple fact is if you're getting a certain percentage of your calories from ice cream, you're getting a lower percentage from the things you might have been eating instead, whatever that might have been, maybe fresh fruit, for example. Um, and so it's, a, it's inevitably a combination of both. Yes, yeah, I think I just love that. Your first comment on the first piece, which is about the pleasure um, factor, I think that that's the thing that, that most of us are, uh, many people struggle with because they need, everything needs to be pleasurable. And there's all, we, we've been indoctrinated that everything has to give this, you know, sense of immediate gratification and pleasure. And then people struggle with, um, you know, eating things that they don't attach that automatic kind of th thinking to, you know, like that green stuff doesn't give me pleasure, so I'm going to have the stackery. <laughs> or, uh, right. And, and no, it's, it's yes. a great point, Leah, and I, I, you know, I think it's not unreasonable, and, and given what the two of you do, I, you know, I think we want to handle this topic judiciously, but I, I, I think it would be wrong not to address it. That, you know, at some point, that notion that, you know, I'm going to do it because it's pleasurable, the consequences be damned, you know, it gets us into the realm of harmful substances. I mean, you know, people who use cocaine and, you know, start out using it and derive pleasure from it, it very quickly it evolves into a problem that annihilates their health and ruins their life. And so, you know, most people look at, at drugs, in particular illicit drugs, and think, I'm not going there because whatever, you know, however good it may feel in the short term, I know about the consequences over time, and it's just not worth it. And we do a very poor job mm -hmm. of thinking about diet in that way. You know, I, I definitely want to get a lot of pleasure out of my diet, but I don't want to pay for it by squandering the pleasure of good health over the course of my life, and I need to strike a balance there. And, and I think culturally, 
we tend to be rather blind to that issue. We don't raise our children to think about it that way. And I think in light of modern epidemiology, the massive burden of preventable chronic disease siphoning away both years from our lives and life from our years, it's time to start. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, a uh, line uh, from from a slightly different angle of health was, uh, I think this was an ad some years ago from a dental organization, and it was, well, um, do I have to floss all my teeth? And the answer was, and the answer was only the ones you want to keep, right? So it's, 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 I, I, I have to give that. Time. This is like your ice cream. I, I, I'm really bad about flossing. I mean, as a preventive medicine specialist, I'm ashamed to say it. I, I when I go to my dentist, I, I feel it's a bit like you know confession. I'm seeking dental absolution. <laughs> I'm a bad flosser. But but, but 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 it's the same thing. It's it's how you think about that. You know, if you think about if you were to say, um, well, I can have this, but, you know, I might be shaving a few minutes off my life or I might be setting myself up for something else, um, then it would have, I think, perhaps a different impact. What's interesting, and in just reviewing some research on the neurophysiology of habits, what, what, what seems to happen with our actions is to begin with, we're very conscious. It's in the uh, cortex. We, we're very conscious and aware of what we're doing. But when we have repeated something enough times, that routine gets delegated lower into the brain nervous system to the basal ganglia, which means that when you go to repeat that action, you don't have to think think about it and you don't so there's actually neurophysiological explanation of we can get into habits and we're not even thinking about what we're doing so you 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 understand that howard at a level that that most of us can't hope to so you know it's, it's an education for me and everybody else listening but but really important and i think we all do know that you know falling into bad habits whether we know the the neurophysiology or not is something that we all can do easily and you know the solution is essentially to drag a habit out of the the shadows where you know it just lurks uh bring it into the light and and scrutinize it now. You know, is this something I want to be doing? I mean, did did Bill really want his overall diet to be something that was very likely to destroy his health? And the answer was no. And we had a discussion about the reality check and you know what moderation really means. I, I think we all kind of need that. Um, so you know, again, I I am not an ideologue about diet and you know i i think uh dogma about diet deserves to stay on its leash uh and i believe that everybody is the boss and you know as a doctor i'm nobody's boss i'm their advocate their agent and their coach but i recognize that all of my patients over the past 25 years are the boss uh and so they get to decide but you know i think people need to make informed decisions and people all too readily overlook the profound implications of diet for health for themselves and everybody they care about, and the simple fact that, you know, when all is said and done, healthy people have more fun. I mean, the the real reason to to eat well and, you know, to practice lifestyle as medicine is not because somebody like me or you wags an admonishing finger. It's because healthy people have more fun. That's the prize. Yeah, you get get out of bed with some zip and vigor and energy and you're able to attend to the things that you need to attend to in your day with um, that same 
uh, level of energy, people can rely on you more to be able to follow through and do stuff because you're, you know, focused and alert and and uh, present. And that's that's the descriptors I think of when you've got your health in your own hands. And so the other thing I love is that just it allowing people to think of yourself in a forgiving manner. You know, maybe you, maybe you've had some things that haven't been great, like David's flossing. I'm not I'm not admitting to anything here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there might be some very there may be some things I need to vary as well. But allowing your you know when we're doing this, uh, you know, sort of um, perspective on ourselves and thinking about how we live our lives day to day. How do we, you know, make these tweaks along the way to make things better so that we can enjoy more and more of life? And going back to the pleasure thing, uh, one, I think just the speed that our culture operates now, that all of the pleasures, it's almost like when you walk through the store, we've talked about this many times, um, but when you walk through a store and it's like all the pleasures are right at the front or at the height of the kids, you know, so you walk by and you go, chocolate, oh, you know, fun here and fun thing there and 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 you're pretty soon overwhelmed with you know all of this you know sensory stuff coming in and and having a really strong inner wisdom allows you to walk past all of those things Um, but when your inner wisdom is a little shaky or your habits are a little shaky it's good for people to understand that those things are very intentional uh, that that the marketing that is done to us is very intentional to get us to make decisions that are in the best interest of corporate, um, you know, of the people who are making money. So uh, when we're thinking about the habits that we fall into that maybe aren't so hot, just being able to sit back, you know, and take a breath and allow for some time and space to happen and really think even thinking even about when was the last time that I actually really did enjoy something? Like when was did I actually have a sublime moment about something that I was either doing or or eating? So the ice cream example, like how many people sit down to the bowl of ice cream and it's sublime and reverent and they absolutely love every succulent mouthful of it? Not and that's not usually the experience. <laughs> the experience is sit down with a big bowl of ice cream, stuff it in as fast as you can. Feel guilty about it because you know that you, you shouldn't be eating it according to everyone you know and their dog. And so we're our inner wisdom is really confused. So how do you how do you how do you guide, coach, and help people to get their inner wisdom like louder, clearer? So, you know, it, it, that's the 64,000, 64 million, 64 <laughs> billion, and maybe $64 trillion question, because, you know, when we look at the, the, the world around us, Leah, uh, first of all, it's a wash in chronic disease that doesn't need to happen. And quite literally, I say this repeatedly, but, I, you know, I think it's a message people can't hear often enough. We are surrendering years from our lives and life from our years that we should never be giving up. It's not necessary. But secondly, um, you know, we, we're, we're living in a time when the planet is in peril. The climate is changing. The glaciers are melting. The seas are rising. The floods are worse. The droughts are worse. Biodiversity is under assault. And our lifestyle practices have major implications for that. Uh, minimally, the way we locomote and get around has implications for that. But, but even more massively, our dietary choices. There was a study out of Loma Linda University uh, just within the past month 
that examined the impact on greenhouse gas emissions for one single food substitution. Basically, the, the researchers modeled the substitution of beans routinely as a protein source for beef in the typical American diet. And what they reported is that single food change, not only is it good for people's health, and, and beans clearly are, uh, but it would produce 50% or more of the greenhouse gas emission reduction pledged in the Paris Accord, which, alas, we have now abandoned, but, but you know, we could do that just with those conscious choices. So massive potential there, but, but we have to think about two different ways of getting there from here, and the question is which one is fair. One is to live in a culture where multicolored marshmallows are peddled to six-year-olds as part of their complete breakfast, and everybody right. tries to eat well and be healthy in spite of it all. Or, you know, we, we work collectively to say that's an outrage. Our culture needs to change and catch up with the times. I, I'm very much an advocate for culture change for several reasons. First, you know, swimming against stream is really hard work. It's hard for mm-hmm. salmon and trout, let alone for people, and it wears you out. So, you know, if everything in your culture is encouraging you to be sedentary and eat badly mm-hmm. and, and the right advice is to eat well and be active, well, it's just too damn hard. Uh, and I don't really yep. think our six-year-old should have to overcome predatory profiteering to eat well. I, I just don't. Um, mm-hmm. But the simple reality is that the other point, actually, about culture is that the only evidence we have of, of really significant health improvement at scale is from places that approached it at the level of culture, the Blue Zones, North Karelia, Finland, mm-hmm. and not from places where culture conspires against health, but doctors give good advice. But in the meantime, we all we can't just wait on the world to change, to quote John Mayer. Uh, we do have to take matters into our own hands. And so I think the next topic to discuss is, you know, how do people acquire the relevant skills? Ultimately, um, it's not enough to have willpower. You need skill power, too. And there's a discrete skill set people can acquire to make them adept at overcoming these, these challenges that make healthy living so difficult in a modern culture. Yeah, those, those, are, those are great points, um, which we will talk about on the other side of Master Your Life. We're here with uh, the excellent Dr. David Katz. Talk about these issues. We'll catch you on the other side of Master Your Life. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Hey gang, this is Leah Mattinson, and I know if you're listening to my program right now that you're somebody who is interested in mastering your life. Maybe you're interested in being a better parent or living with more energy and vitality in the face of a debilitating disease. Or are you just stuck in a rut and want to learn how to reconnect play and enjoy your life fully again then i invite you to come to reallifetraining.com to learn about my upcoming real life reflections a weekly live interactive workshop these closed group discussions dive deep into life's biggest real life challenges and how to successfully navigate them now you can become a participant in these discussions with me so if that sounds like where you'd like to be and how you'd like to feel, come on over to the website at reallifetraining.com and see how you can access more health, happiness, and joy each week. Reallifetraining.com, where we help people to help themselves. When was the last time you said, I love myself and I love my life? Can't recall? 
Has it been five years, ten maybe? Or do you quite literally not remember a time when you felt peaceful and joyful? Well, how would you like to be one of those special women who glow because you're on a path to awakening and evolving consciously? If that sounds like where you want to be, but you just don't know how to get there, come join Leah Mattinson for one of her upcoming retreats in a beautiful, intimate, and very exclusive location. Dive deep in mind, body, and spirit. Go to reallifetraining.com for details. If you've been searching for fat loss and mental clarity in one place, think ketosis. Maybe you've heard about a ketogenic diet, but have been totally turned off by the painstaking effort to do it. Well, agonize no longer because there is a solution. What could be just as simple and easy as taking your daily vitamins? Visit reallifetraining.expert to find out. Raise your hand and get in on the front end of the total wellness revolution. Get well, manage your mood, clear your mind. Visit reallifetraining.expert now. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are tuned in to Master Your Life. To reach Leah Mattinson, Dr. Howard Rankin, or their guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Leah. That's L-E-A-H-A at changeyourlife.expert. Now, back to Master Your Life. Welcome back to Master Your Life. I'm co-host Dr. Howard Rankin, along with Leah Mattinson. Today, our guest is Dr. David Katz, one of the leaders in the world in terms of health, health prevention. And today, we've been talking a lot about the impact of food on health. And in the first, we ended the first section talking about how do we make this change? We have a culture uh, where uh, marketers are basically peddling ill health and disease. Uh, and how do we change that? So, so David, we, you, before the break, you said it has to be a cultural change. How does that happen? I mean, obviously, that is the, the question, but I'm sure that's something you have thought about endlessly. Yeah, I, I have, Howard. And so, you know, I think there, there are several different answers. I mean, the first is, in public health, we routinely say, think globally, act locally. And, and we have local cultures, the most local of mm. which is under our own roof. You know, an individual mm. doesn't, have, doesn't have culture, but families do. And, you know, it's interesting. We, we talk routinely about family values. Well, well, that's culture. So, you know, families routinely share perspectives about politics and religion, and, and, and they support these views and, and practices that are aligned with them in one another. Well, health can be a family value. Health is a cat's family value. My wife and I have, have five children, and, you know, we raise them eating well and being active, and so that, you know, it's just normal to them. So our culture yes. has been a culture of health, and it, it, it immunized our children against the, the macro culture all around them. So I, I don't think we should underestimate the power of family as a building block of culture, and that's where I'd recommend we start. And then, you know, that sort of leads back to the notion of skill power. Okay, I want to learn how to cook a few good recipes. Uh, and by the way, for those so inclined, I, I encourage uh, you visit my wife's beautiful and freely accessible recipe site, Quizinicity. 
dot com. That's basically Cat's <laughs> Family Greatest Hits that we're paying forward <laughs> to everybody. Help yourself. Uh, I want to learn how to interpret food labels, and I, you know, I'm going to do a little bit of, of work. I'm going to devote an hour so I can shop better for my family for the rest of our lives. I mean, that's a, that's time very well invested, and and on and on it goes. I'm maybe going to you know look up a few articles about time management so I can figure out the best ways to fit physical activity into our daily routines, that kind of thing. So culture begins at the level of family. It extends to the level of community where we can all take action. You know, if you're not happy with what's going on in schools, you should say so. Speak to a principal, speak to the board, speak to the superintendents, get on the wellness committee. We can all be agents of local culture change. In terms of, you know, proof of principle, we've got public health researchers to thank, and they, you know, they've done studies in places like Somerville, Massachusetts, and North Karelia, Finland, uh, where they've been able to show that if you involve everybody, business leaders, political leaders, community leaders, parents, concerned citizens, that you can change what's in restaurants and what's on menus and what's in supermarkets and what's advertised and what's in school and what's at the work site. And collectively, it can make a huge difference. So, you know, we, we can think about uh, sort of, you know, collective effort by the body politic, but again, at the fairly local level. And then ultimately, you know, I, I think we want to translate these efforts into sustainable practice and, and potentially sustainable practice that can be monetized. And that's what the Blue Zones Project is doing. So, you know, essentially there's funding from health insurers who are currently paying the bills for way too much coronary disease and bariatric surgery to help fund these health promotion efforts at the level of community. Do we have evidence, you know, that, that if you transplant elements of culture to a community, you can transform health? We really do, and I think the most vivid, beautiful demonstration of this does come from North Karelia, Finland, and just very briefly, you know, about 50 years ago, the epidemiologist there took the key insights from the seven-country study and the work of Ansel Keys and applied it. So they, they worked to shift diets away from animal foods to more plant foods, so more vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans, and so forth. Um, they worked to reduce tobacco, uh, and they worked to reduce um, blood cholesterol levels. And the net effect of their efforts over a 50-year span was an 82% reduction in rates of coronary disease and a 10-year average addition to life expectancy. They added wow. years to lives and life to years at the level of culture. So it, it can be done, Howard. I, you know, it, it's hard to get organized at the level of a whole region like they did in North Karelia. We're not really good at that here in the United States. It's a bit like herding cats. So, you know, again, think globally but act locally. And, and the most local opportunity of all is under your own roof. Yes, I think that's a wonderful way to put it. So we're we're um, you know starting out in our own families. Uh, we can with our own self what we choose to eat and what we choose to buy, and going and learning some new recipes and working in some some sort of fitness routine. Um, what do you have any kind of stats or any of that on how many families are struggling in North America with doing just that? Well, you know, if we're talking about uh, meeting all of the, the sort of top-tier recommendations for health promotion, so, uh, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm the immediate past president mm-hmm. of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, and one mm-hmm. of the challenges we wrestle with routinely is making sure that, that, that experts in that field can all agree, what exactly do we mean? What is lifestyle medicine? 
I've taken to referring to it as feet, forks, fingers, sleep, stress, and love. So feet is physical activity, forks is dietary patterns, fingers is don't ever hold a cigarette, sleep, stress, and love are fairly self-evident. By love, I mean all good social connections, relationships. So right. so that would be the, the, the domain. You could add other things to it, like alcohol in addition to tobacco and so forth. But it, there have been studies done, actually I participated in a couple, where we've aggregated these and, and created a composite measure of healthy living and, and looked at the very issue you're raising, Leah. So, you know, what percentage of, of households is getting all of this right? So, you know, they're hitting targets for fruits and vegetables, and they're physically active, and they're avoiding toxins, and they're getting enough sleep. They're not stressed out. They have a good social network of support. It's extremely low. I mean, to, to fire on all six cylinders, we're talking about less than 10% of the population. Um, it's shockingly poor. And, and the biggest failure, of course, is diet. So there are gaps with all of the others, but once you factor diet in, it's a very sizable majority of the population that is failing to even come close to dietary recommendations. So we're missing out uh, on a key opportunity, and there are all sorts of reasons why. You know, again, it's the, the prevailing currents in our culture blow against our success. Um, we don't think about it nearly enough. We tend to think about practices that get us to health in an oh, woe is me matter. Oh, woe is me, I can't eat this donut. You know, I mean, we, we don't <laughs> tend to think about investments and savings in an oh, woe is me matter. We, we tend to think about those as, you know, this is the, the responsible and, and prudent thing to do, you know, to protect not just today but tomorrow. I think we need to think about health a little bit more the way we think about wealth is something to invest in and, and nurture and, and want to pay forward to our, our kids. We don't tend to do that. So we've got attitudes that are in the way. We've got a culture that's in the way. We've got an environment that's in the way. And then, frankly, just about everything about modern living that makes it modern is in the way, right? Crazy, hectic schedules, um, no escape from the Internet. I mean, don't, don't you guys miss weekends? Remember when a weekend meant nobody could find you? Like, Man, I miss that. <laughs> I really do. It's just never free anymore. Uh, right, you know, yep. there's just no way to escape, yep. and you always feel like right. I should check my email one last time, right? So, I mean, yep. it just the pace of, of life just keeps accelerating, and demands on us and our, uh, you know, sort of the connection to our our responsibilities and obligations just just seems to grow ever bigger. And I'm not sure any of that's healthy. Um, so, you know, we have some considerable challenges to wrestle with if we're going to find our way to healthy living. Yeah, and it's interesting you compare that to wealth because the sad reality there is actually a minority of people plan appropriately for their wealth and retirement. I mean, it's a ridiculously low number of people who save adequately for retirement. So it isn't, it isn't just uh, food that they're not paying attention to. It's it's finances as well. Um, I agree with you. Yeah, and no, it's a good point, Howard. But I, as poor as the planning and prep are with regard to wealth, you know, I think as, as a culture we accept that it's something we at least should do, even though most don't yes. manage to do it. With health, yeah. we're not even there. I don't think yeah. people don't even think about health planning and the idea that I should be investing in my health. We don't even have that conversation. 
Yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, people will say, oh, I should be saving more and I really wish I could and, and all of that um, <laughs> in, in a way that, that certainly implies a little more awareness and concern that does over their diet. So, right. no, I, right. all, all of those other lifestyle behaviors, totally agree with you on that. Yeah, um, but, but, you know, problems in both areas and, and, you know, for many of the same reasons as a culture. You know, we, we have propagated massive economic disparities. And, and, and by the way, mm -hmm. we can have these two discussions along parallel tracks as if they're disconnected. But, but we know that's not true. We actually know that the single most potent driver of bad health outcomes is, in fact, social and economic disparities. And cultures that have big social and economic disparities and, you know, hello, America, uh, mm -hmm. tend to have really bad health outcomes. And, of course, in the United States, we've got the world's most expensive disease care system and shockingly bad by global health standards outcomes. Mm -hmm. And, yep. you know, the disparities that we tolerate and that, if anything, are widening over time are a big part of the reason why. And so do you think there's some sort of, in, like, intentional agenda there? Like, why are things, in, I mean, it's evolved over the past hundred years. This isn't just a new 20-year sort of a, um, you know, problem. Uh, and maybe that's not a fair question. <laughs> but, you know, um, the whole state of medicine and who we go to as experts, we've talked about that whole, what is what makes a, somebody an expert? Um, and then how do we make these decisions for ourselves and then when we fail you know we're not, we're not supposed to fail at anything so we don't have our health we don't have our wealth um, we can't tell anybody because we're trapped by the shame of not having our health or our wealth and maybe that was handed to us by you know our family maybe that's our family story so part of the skill you, you know is how does a person break out of the traps um, that are there and maybe that they've even just been born into Wow, uh, that's that's a heavy duty question there, Lynn. And, and you know, I I, I think to we some like extent, heavy duty, David. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, all right. Uh, let me see if I can lift that one. Um, you know, here, here's my thinking. I mean, why, why this seems overwhelming? But but let me let me front load my answer with the solution. I, I think we need to change the narrative. So you know, you're right. There's sort of self recrimination about you know I should be doing all these things and I'm not. And I'm, I'm a bad person. I, I don't like what I see in the mirror. All of that. I blame myself. That only makes it worse. And around and around we go. Um, and one of the alternatives to that is to say, no, it's not your fault. Obesity is a disease and, and you know, you need more drugs mm -hmm. and surgery. But I, I think that's a very bad and false solution, too, mm -hmm. and, and simply feeds into over-medicalization and, again, failure to use lifestyle as medicine. I have long advocated, and as far as I can tell, nobody at all is paying any attention to me. So, you know, thank you guys for letting me say this in public um, because now maybe somebody other than my mother will hear it. But I, I've long advocated. <laughs> oh, sorry, we have thinking to you about obesity, right now. <laughs> <laughs> obesity and related chronic disease um, as being analogous to drowning. You know, if somebody drowns uh, because, you know, they, they, a child got into a pool that didn't have a fence or there was no lifeguard or there were rip currents or, you know, somebody didn't know how to swim and fell out of a boat or whatever the reason was, we don't blame the victim of drowning. We look for reasons why it happened. We do everything we can to prevent it from happening again. 
Uh, if we get to that poor person in time, we do everything possible to resuscitate them, and we don't wag a finger at them for, you know, shame on you for drowning, and, you know, as far as I know, they don't tend to blame themselves. We, we think we need lifeguards everywhere. We need fences around pools. We need to teach everybody how to swim, and we need to take precautions. Well, we are drowning in never-before-seen, uh, hyper-processed, ultra-palatable, willfully addictive, Endless, mm-hmm. endlessly varied junk food, and we are drowning in never-before-seen uh, labor-saving technology. So, you know, human beings have no native adaptations to caloric excess or the lure of the couch. We never needed them before, and so we're very vulnerable to this stuff, and we live in an unprecedented world. So I think, you know, fundamentally the solution is to change the narrative so we understand the nature of our problem and if we thought about obesity and chronic disease the way we think about drowning, we would be very much focused on the environment and and prevention and, you know, both helping people help themselves, the, the analog to learning how to swim, but also looking out for one another, you know, the analog to fences and, and lifeguards. I mean, why not? And we would also recognize that sometimes, in spite of all of that, bad things would happen, just as they do with rip currents at the beach, and we need to be prepared to rescue people. And we won't blame them when we have to do that, because sometimes that stuff just happens. We need to change the narrative. The reason that we are so out of our element is that what we're up against here, I think, is the grand sweep of 6 million years of evolutionary biology and 15,000 years of human civilization. Throughout all of that time, Getting more food was always a good thing. It's suddenly bad. Throughout all of that time, doing less physical work was always a good thing. It's suddenly bad. I think we're racing to catch up with the fact that, you know, the Titanic did, a, you know, an abrupt 180. And all of our momentum has us, you know, headed toward the iceberg. You know, we're, we're trying to turn it around. But we've been working throughout all of human history to make more food more readily available. We just overshot. We've been working throughout all of human history to reduce the demands on our muscles for survival. We just overshot. Uh, eventually, I think we can sort it out, but we still have a lot of work to do. Great. Well, I'm glad we gave you an opportunity to to make that point to somebody other than your mother, too, who might be listening <laughs> uh, for all we know, but uh, it's, an, it's an excellent point. Really excellent point, which we'll pursue again, perhaps with some practical implications for our listeners on the other side of Master Your Life. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. If you've been searching for fat loss and mental clarity in one place, Think ketosis. Maybe you've heard about a ketogenic diet but have been totally turned off by the painstaking effort to do it. Well, agonize no longer because there is a solution. What could be just as simple and easy as taking your daily vitamins? Visit reallifetraining.expert to find out. Raise your hand and get in on the front end of the total wellness revolution. Get well, manage your mood, clear your mind. Visit reallifetraining.expert now. When was the last time you said, I love myself and I love my life? Can't recall? Has it been five years? Ten maybe? Or do you quite literally not remember a time when you felt peaceful and joyful? Well, how would you like to be one of those special women who glow because you're on a path to awakening and evolving consciously? 
If that sounds like where you want to be, but you just don't know how to get there, come join Leah Mattinson for one of her upcoming retreats in a beautiful, intimate, and very exclusive location. Dive deep in mind, body, and spirit. Go to reallifetraining.com for details. Hey gang, this is Leah Mattinson, and I know if you're listening to my program right now that you're somebody who is interested in mastering your life. Maybe you're interested in being a better parent or living with more energy and vitality in the face of a debilitating disease. Or are you just stuck in a rut and want to learn how to reconnect, play, and enjoy your life fully again? Then I invite you to come to reallifetraining.com to learn about my upcoming Real Life Reflections, a weekly live interactive workshop. These closed group discussions dive deep into life's biggest real life challenges and how to successfully navigate them. Now you can become a participant in these discussions with me. So if that sounds like where you'd like to be and how you'd like to feel, come on over to the website at reallifetraining.com and see how you can access more health, happiness, and joy each week. Reallifetraining.com, where we help people to help themselves. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Master Your Life. To reach Leah Mattinson, Dr. Howard Rankin, or their guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Leah, that's L-E-A-H-A, at changeyourlife.expert. Now, back to Master Your Life. Welcome back to Master Your Life. I'm host Leah Mattinson, joined by my wonderful co-host, Dr. Howard Rankin, and today our wonderfully informative guest, Dr. David Katz. And before the breaks, we were talking about lifestyle as medicine and chronic illness in America and sort of kind of what are the things we can personally do about those things and then how does that um, lead into the culture change that we also desperately need. Um, So I would love to kind of delve into, David, what is it that you're up to right now over the the, uh, like what what work are you are you working on now you've been in this business a long time and you have a lot of wisdom to share with people so besides doing these radio interviews and and, and spreading the word i know that <laughs> <laughs> that your mom will listen That's to it. at I, least I, your I mom will listen. would do I, I have to do something else <laughs> <laughs> so, well, yes. thank you Leah. so yeah I, you know to be honest, and I, I routinely say this when I, I do public speaking, you know, I kind of look back on 25 to 30 years in, in public health practice uh, with a certain amount of frustration and worry. Uh, the worry is, you know, I'm, I'm a productivity addict, and, and I, you know, I worry that I won't be able to go gentle into that good night when it's my turn, um, you know, for want of, of satisfaction that I did enough. Uh, you know, I, I'm an expert in weight management and obesity prevention, but throughout my career, obesity rates have been rising, not falling. And I'm an expert in preventing chronic disease, but throughout my career, rates of chronic disease around the world have been rising, not falling. And, you know, I can look at it all and feel like a, a pretty monumental failure. And I, and I try hard not to because it's not very productive. But I also recognize that you know, what I'm doing and what everyone's doing is not enough, and we can't just Mm -hmm. keep on keeping on. We need to invent new methods. So, you know, I'm constantly trying to do that and and have a number of things in the works, um, up to and including uh, developing a a whole new concept for dietary intake assessment and coaching that has caused me to form my own company, 
called Diet Quality Photo Navigation, and, and people can go to dqpn.io to get a, a sneak peek at that. But, but the big thing that occupies my mind and my time these days, Leah, is an effort to overcome fake narratives, fake news about diet and health. You know, in this cyberspatial, blogospheric age, every opinion can masquerade as expertise, and the sheer volume of nonsense can drown out sense. You know, the, the sheer volume of falsehoods can drown out truth. And and I think it's very important to note, you know, if we think about the prize as more years in life, more life in years, and lifestyle practices is the way to get there from here, there is no hope of getting there from here if we can't agree where there is. And that's the danger of fake news and post-truth and alternative facts about diet and lifestyle. So one thing that, that I've done, and this is really very important to me, is I have established an unprecedented global coalition of experts to stand together and say we agree about the fundamentals of healthy eating and healthy lifestyle, and it's called the True Health Initiative. And, and this, is some, this is an action item for everybody listening because you can go to truehealthinitiative.org for two reasons. First, you know, look at this organization, look at who's in this, find your, your hero, you know, whether they're vegan or paleo or Mediterranean or whatever they may be, I bet they're there, um, and see what the true north really is in, in diet and lifestyle for health promotion. There is a true north. It, it, it's not unknown. Mm-hmm. We are not clueless about the basic care and feeding of homo sapiens. So go there to find out what true north is. But then, you know, if you're convinced and, and you you recognize that our greatest strength is in unity, um, then join us. Uh, You'll see a a link on the site where you can join and add your voice to this growing chorus because when enough of us say we understand and we agree and we endorse, you know, the fundamentals of healthy eating, healthy living, we do not want to be debating whether or not it, you know, it's good for us to be eating more bacon. We know that it's good for us to be eating more beans. We know that best diets all around the world are rich in vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans, lentils, plain water for thirst, nuts and seeds, maybe fish and seafood, and so on. Um, you know, let's rally around what we do know and work on getting there from here. So the True Health Initiative is, is one answer to your question. And then the other, and I'm excited about this, although I'm also a little bit overwhelmed because I, I keep uh, <laughs> struggling to find the time to, to get the writing done. But I, I'm working on my next book, and it's called The Truth About Food, and Harper One will be publishing that in, in 2018. And, and it's my opportunity, you know, to tie together in one place stuff that I write about in my columns multiple times every week. You know, just that there, there are so many distortions in, in the media uh, about diet studies in particular and so much pseudo confusion being propagated. I think we can fix that. So I'm looking for new methods at this stage in my career to help clarify where there is. I'm convinced we are an ingenious and resourceful enough species to get there from here. I mean, after all, we got to the moon, but we knew where the darn thing was. I think we need to accomplish the same with regard to healthy living, and then we can get there, too. Yeah, so let's go over those, two because they're important. TrueHealthInitiative.org, right? Right. Uh, David, TrueHealthInitiative.org? Yes, that's correct, Yes. And you said dqpn.io. Is that right? Did I hear that right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's the cool new internet suffix. 
uh, I O. You know, that's what they're okay. using out in Silicon Valley. So I, I'm, I'm trying to be <laughs> okay. fancy. Yeah, DQPN. So it stands for Diet Quality Photo Navigation. Everybody can remember it though as Diet ID. That's what we're going to call the the okay. app when we release that. Uh, and that's still a work in progress, but it's coming soon. And you know, it's just a whole new way to figure out what is your baseline diet, what is your goal diet, uh, and how you know what are the discrete steps to get from the one to the other. Uh, we've got a whole new way to help people do that coming very soon. I'm I'm excited about that. And, and let's not forget your wife's uh, and the family's website for healthy. That was Cuisinicity. Is that Q uh, C I S I N I T Y. It's like cuisine. It's like cuisine, cuisine city, but with an mm. I in the middle. So it's C U I S I N I C I T Y. Cuisinicity. dot com. Okay, and again, th- this is yeah. So these, these are all the. This is basically how my family, um, you know, has has been nourished all these years, and we've just made it available to everyone. And and just briefly, uh, how uh, Catherine is. Uh, first of all, a neuroscientist uh, by training. So, you know, the two of you are kindred mm-hmm. spirits. Um, but she's French, uh, grew up in, in southern France. So the, the inspiration for her cuisine is sort of Mediterranean French cooking. She was born in North Africa, so lived on both sides of, of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, so it's it's just, you know, it's delightfully um, nourishing, delicious, nutritious, family-friendly food uh, and, and the tagline there at Quizinicity is love the food that loves you back. You know, our, our <laughs> belief is you should not have to choose between the pleasure of good food and the pleasure of good health. You should be able to use one to get to the other. Excellent, excellent. And also for our listeners, um, if you are on LinkedIn, um, you can follow uh, David. He posts something every week, as far as I'm aware, um, along these lines, always fascinating stuff. Um, So something else that you listeners can do to keep track of what David's doing. Yes, nourish your brain. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So, so in the last, uh, just would like to, um, I want to go and, and visit your wife's website because that just sounds so delicious, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> I'm standing here in my kitchen going, hmm, there's my box of keto. <laughs> I'm really not feeling like taking that right now. <laughs> You're talking about French yeah. cuisine. <laughs> sounds so much better. <laughs> uh, so practically speaking, people can, you know, what are what is what would be people's biggest roadblock that they're going to stumble around? So get, just to give people uh, how they can navigate themselves uh, into all this wonderful work that you do, and then what's their own thinking going to be that's going to get in the way of them just taking the first baby steps, David? It's an excellent question, Leah, and the answer is I don't know. I don't know at the level of an individual because it varies. And, uh, you know, that, that's the beauty of clinical practice is, you know, if you're doing your job well, you go to where the individual patient is and you, you help work the problem there. They tell you and you follow their lead. What I did in, in one of my recent books, Disease Proof, in the last chapters, I, I attempted to translate that notion uh, from the clinic to the page and said, you know, we, we all need to be thinking holistically about our health. So, you know, imagine you want to improve your diet, um, but you are depressed or anxious or stressed or sleep deprived or, you know, you're in a bad relationship or you hate your job. Yeah, okay, your diet should be improved, but maybe something else needs to come first. I mean, maybe the first thing to fix is your sleep. 
so you feel rested and energetic enough to take on the challenge of, of learning how to improve your diet. You know, right now you just lack the motivation because you're exhausted. Or maybe you have chronic pain and it's keeping you awake at night and you're not going to sleep better until your chronic knee pain gets treated effectively, and that's the current challenge. And so, you know, I, I think the only right answer that, that fits all of us is that health really is intrinsically a holistic proposition. And it's hard to eat well if we're not sleeping well, and it's hard to sleep well if we're in chronic pain, and it's hard to fix the pain if we're not eating well, and it's hard to eat well and be active and and alleviate pain if we're sad or lonely or frustrated or depressed or anxious, Uh, and round and round and round we go. This can easily become a degenerating spiral where each problem makes the other worse, but it can just as readily become a spiral staircase where each step up makes it possible to take the next and get you all the way up to the, the summit of vitality. So I, I would say everyone should think about their life and the factors affecting their health for good or for ill. As needed, find a healthcare professional they trust to help kind of work that situation and decide what's the first thing I should focus on, the first manageable thing. And then when I fix and address that first thing, I'm going to use what I gain and invest it back in me so I can take the next step up and the next. And I think everybody, one way or another, can climb that spiral stair. Yeah, I think I think that's right. And and seeing these things as interconnected, you know, it's um, the five things that will help you, whatever, are all interconnected you know it's not well i do two of those so i should be okay it's all of them because they all have a compounding effect as you say i think obviously the first part of that and people going for help have already hopefully got there is taking responsibility for your life and health and and when we were talking about the disease care and the the approach to medicine that I think is now outdated, it still comes with, you have a disease, it's still somehow the narrative is, this happened to you, you know, Mm -hmm. perhaps it's genetic, oh, my grandmother had that, so there's nothing I can do about it, or, you know, where the reality is, that is not really key, I mean, even in Alzheimer's, even in dementia, especially, you know, Uh, the Alzheimer's Association of America says, don't get a genetic test, because it really not that relevant and frankly there's nothing to do about it anyway lifestyle yeah take the responsibility yeah no i, I agree hard you know I, I think that notion that dna is destiny is going away i mean we fell in love with that when we you know we, we profiled the genome uh, i think we're getting over it now and and but i don't think we fully recognize the extent to which dinner is destiny and and you know there, there really was there's there's just a fascinating volume of evidence indicating the power we have over our genes most of the time. There are, there are rare exceptions, you know, where the gene is likely to be your destiny for Huntington's disease or sickle cell anemia, but they're very much the exception, not the rule. And there was a recent study in the New England Journal of Medicine that looked preferentially at people with known risk markers in their genes for cardiovascular disease. And they were able to reduce their risk of of heart disease by over 50% with lifestyle interventions. And this was despite high-risk genes. So, yeah, I I think it's a really important point. And I absolutely agree it pertains to to mental health and dementia and, you know, really every aspect of of our well-being. And on the other side of responsibility, because that's a heavy word for a lot of people to bear, (laughs) is freedom. (laughs) So... (laughs) 
it's they go oh, i don't want to be responsible at some level and but freedom lies on the other side of that and uh, uh or is the you know yeah in a paradoxical way that's what you're working towards is the freedom to be able to have the the life that you really want waking up pain free you know waking up with um you, you know in a relationship that's great with your relationships with your kids that are solid as a grandparent i can look at my i look at my grandson and think like i want to be around here and you know in our family david we have huntington's uh disease and my daughter actually just went for her um, genetic testing, and she is gene positive. So that means that you know my grandchildren now are now at risk. I guess they've always been at risk. But I so I sit here and go, yeah, I know that we're supposed to be the exception to the rule. But I, but the other part of me goes, no, I think that we can definitely uh, change some of the expression of our genetics. Um, and I'm healthy. My dad's 78. He's as healthy as a horse. He has some chorea, but really overall compared to other people he's really really well other people with huntingtons and right, uh, right. i think it's 100% because of his lifestyle um powerful <laughs> message Leah. yeah yeah yes, absolutely yeah. so so even when a gene is going to express itself how thoroughly it expresses itself and mm-hmm. and the overall mm-hmm. context of your vitality mm-hmm. within which it expresses itself remain under your control i i couldn't agree more and and i think that's a really important message to get across well, thank you, David. It's a pleasure, as always, to have you on, Dr. David Gatz. I hope that you have uh, gotten all the uh, information about where you can follow David. Leo, last words from you, perhaps. Yes, just love having you on, David. I think you're so you're so knowledgeable and so credible that the first thing I'm going to do when I get off here is to go and check out that um, True Health initiative. I, I just think there needs to be more voices in the world that are supporting such wonderful work. And thank you for being so dedicated throughout the whole span of your life um, to this, you know, um, real need in the world. It's a a very real problem and a real need, and you're addressing it in a a real way where people tangibly can go and get the help that they need. So thank you so much. Thank you both. I, I, I appreciate, as ever, this opportunity to address it together with both of you. Great. Take care, David. You too. Okay, until next week on Master Your Life, we hope that you have more insight, intelligence, and inspiration than ever to live the masterful life you were intended to live. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Thank you for being a part of our show today. Master Your Life with Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin can be heard every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go enjoy your successful life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.